I'm the Pody, and you're listening to This Week in Sports. Last weekend, we all learned the hard way that Tom Brady is like a fine wine. He keeps getting better with age. Take this for example. Sunday will be his eighth straight AFC championship game. That is a 76.5% career clip. By comparison, LeBron James' career free throw percentage is 73.8%. Last season on the PGA Tour, the number one golfer converting putts between 5 to 10 feet was Louis Oosthuizen at 66.15%. And finally, in the 2018 FIFA World Cup, there were 22 converted penalty kicks, just a 75.8% clip. So to recap, Tom Brady makes it to the AFC title game more than LeBron James makes free throws, more than PGA Tour golfers make putts from 5 to 10 feet, and more than World Cup soccer players convert penalty kicks. Appreciate the greatness that is TB12. What's going on, everybody? It is Friday, January 18th. 2019 and we've got a big weekend of sports coming up there's supposed to be some bad weather throughout this weekend uh, throughout most of the country so um, I hope the games make for some good television because most people will be inside for the duration of the weekend with the snow and the cold weather and we're looking at frigid temperatures maybe in the teens or even lower uh, a nice freeze over through the throughout the night maybe Saturday into Sunday but I look forward to these final two games. We're at the AFC Championship game and, of course, the NFC title game. My picks couldn't have been more wrong last weekend. I'm a little disappointed by those picks, actually, because um, I had some good money riding on those games. And I, I gave you my picks. I was quite confident in the over for the Chiefs and Colts game. But, of course, that snowy, nasty, cold weather really played a factor, and I was afraid of that happening. But anyway, we will get into all of that and much more, but we're going to start as per usual with some college football. I know the season is over, yes, but with the draft upcoming in a a few months out here in April, we've got to bring you some, um, there's some college football news that I got to bring to you. And one of the better running backs throughout um, college football the last couple of years, that is Bryce Love. He hasn't had the season he would have liked Multiple injuries sidelined him for much of the season, and he's looking like he's going to be one of the better draft picks at the running back position, but he is recovering from an ACL, which could be problematic. It's going to prohibit him from really working out as hard as he would like for for these teams. Um, So let's see. This happened uh, right at the end of the season um, in their win over Cal. And just, of course, two years ago, he was a Heisman runner-up. So like I said, he is one of the better prospects at the running back position. He could now, this is interesting because, of course, we've devalued the running back position the last few years. But of course, the likes of Ezekiel Elliott or guys like Leonard Fournette have gone high in the first round. Somebody like Bryce Love, though, with this ACL injury, he's a nice 
find that will slide probably in the third, fourth round, and he could be a nice steal for for a lot of teams, maybe like a Chris Carson type or even even the sky's probably even higher than that. So um yeah, he's gonna he he he's gonna be uh it's gonna be interesting seeing where he falls now in the draft due to this injury. And this is of course why these players nowadays are sitting out their bowl games because of injuries and things of this nature that will completely derail their draft stock i.e. their money as most would look at it so okay next up this is kind of bizarre but Steve Sarkeesian the former offensive coordinator for the Atlanta Falcons he is actually going to be leaving the NFL to go back to Alabama where he coached with Nick Saban for I think a year or two offensive coordinator there but the weird thing is of course he was fired with the Falcons just an awful awful game manager inside the red zone could not seem to score points in the red zone with the Atlanta Falcons could not seem to get Julio Jones the ball I don't understand it I don't know what the problem was but it just didn't work out there in Atlanta he was actually offered by Cliff Kingsbury the offensive coordinator position with the Arizona Cardinals and he and he turned it down to join Cliff Kings, uh, excuse me, to join Nick Saban back at Alabama. So I guess he's trying to transition back to the college football world. He kind of saw the writing on the wall, I guess, in the NFL. Didn't work out. And the way that the the, the coaches, just the revolving door of coaches with Nick, under Nick Saban is ridiculous. I read a story this week, I believe, that Nick Saban didn't find out one of his one of his coaches from his current staff left the team to go take a job somewhere else, I believe. He didn't find out until he walked into a meeting one morning and was like, where is such and such? And that's when he found out that he was no longer on the staff at Alabama, which is quite problematic, if you ask me, when the head coach doesn't even know where his underlings are. Okay, another coach from the NFL is actually dropping down to the college ranks as well, and that's Buccaneers quarterback coach Mike Bajakian. He has been hired as the offensive coordinator at Boston College. So quarterback coach to offensive coordinator, you think that's a step up in the NFL? Yes. In college, I don't know. Dropping down from from a quarterback coach in the NFL to an offensive coordinator in college, I don't necessarily know if that's a bump up. I'd have to see. You'd have to ask him. Maybe uh, his salary is going to get a bump. But um, yeah, that's a little, that's a weird one as well. So a little bit about uh, Bajakian here. He was uh, the Bucks quarterback coach the last four seasons and got to say another guy that probably saw the writing on the wall with the new uh, staff there because obviously Bruce Arians did not retain him bringing in his own staff when he was hired. But last four years had Jameis Winston, the number one quarterback out of Florida State and things just have been rocky up and down, just did not work out with Dirk Cutter and, and that staff. So let's see if he has some more success at Boston College. And he does have a lot of college football coaching experience. That's kind of where he started his career. He was a Butch Jones guy. He worked with Butch Jones at Central Michigan, Cincinnati, and Tennessee, all as offensive coordinators. So he does have a lot of experience there. Surprised, though, that he's going back to be an offensive coordinator and could not get a head coaching job. But, you know, you're out of the college ranks for that much time it's a little bit difficult and he's not really a household name 
And then the really the big college football news that shook the world much of this week is Kyler Murray announcing that he is officially going to enter the NFL draft. And this is, I'm not going to say that I'm completely shocked, but of course he was drafted eighth overall by the Oakland Athletics, $4.66 million signing bonus, which will be void if he chooses the NFL. He will have to go and give that back to the Oakland Athletics, but then their SOL because they, they don't recoup that draft pick. He, they, they, it's just like they didn't have a pick. So that's very difficult, and it's quite interesting because I want to give you guys. I want to let you guys hear what Deion Sanders had to say. I think he was speaking with Kerry Champion on Get Up in the Morning or whatever that show is on uh, ESPN, I believe. And he, he, so obviously Dion, somebody that knows both sports very well. Obviously, all pro, all world cornerback in the NFL, won a couple of Super Bowls, and then of course. He also played for the Atlanta Braves and was in the World Series. So he he has he knows both sides. And here's what Hall of Famer Deion Sanders had to say, uh, he, a little bit of advice he had for Kyler Murray. Or is there one in particular you think he should go to? Life won't allow him to. This game won't allow him to at his position. Mm-hmm. If I was in his shoes, I'm picking up the baseball bat, and I'm not looking back. Why? Because that's just for me. Mm-hmm. Like, I, sometimes I still have regret that I didn't give it more. I, but, you know, I got a gold jacket in the closet. I'm straight. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I, I wish I would have given it more. But for, for Kyler, that's tough at his position. And I don't think he realized the ridicule that you go through once you declare and say, I'm going to be a football player. Now people start talking about your height, your size, what you can't do. He hadn't dealt with that yet. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think he could do whatever he wants to do. He's that kind of athlete. So much of the problem with these superstar athletes is that they push their bodies to the limit. They're so competitive. You look at Michael Jordan, the best basketball player in history. End of story, right? And, but as good as he was, he wanted to test the waters with baseball. He wanted to leave the NBA at the height of his career and go try to make it as a professional baseball player. And obviously that really did not work out. He never made it to the big leagues. Couldn't get past uh, the minor leagues in that damn curveball. But he then goes back to the NBA and he finishes out his career. But what could have been, right? If he would have never left the basketball court, he would no doubt about it have won himself another couple of championships and definitely ended the LeBron MJ talk. But it's the same thing with a guy like Deion Sanders. Even you just heard there, he said he sometimes wishes he would have tested the waters a little bit more. As good as he was as a football player, and he's he said it, I'm straight, I have the gold jacket, meaning he's in the Hall of Fame. But he's still that competitiveness, that competitor inside him wishes he played baseball a little bit more just to push himself. And if see, if he would have played it maybe every day like the rest of these guys that make their living doing that full time. Maybe he could have been just as good as somebody as some of those other Hall of Fame baseball players. So I think that's the appeal for a guy like Kyler Murray. He knows how good he is at baseball, right? He's been drafted top 10 overall, okay? And you've got guys like Tim Kirkshen comparing him to Ricky Henderson, which is very, very high praise. So the fact that he now is saying to himself, I know what I've got with baseball, but I'm not necessarily sure what I have with football. And I just came off this unbelievable Heisman winning season. And I took Oklahoma to the college football playoff. And 
Now I want to test the waters in the NFL. Can I really make it as a 5'9 quarterback? Because let's be real, he's not Russell Wilson. He might be a little bit shorter. He He's hovering around 5'9", okay? They might say otherwise, but no, he's about 5'9", if that. And to make it as a quarterback in this league at that height, it's going to be difficult. You, you can compare him to a guy like Russell Wilson because that's the most comparable guy. But at the same time, he doesn't necessarily fit as a quarterback. And it brings us back to the whole Tim Tebow thing. He tried the quarterback. He would not. He w- he refused to switch positions and try to play as a tight end or, or fullback or something like that. And then, of course, a couple years later, doesn't work out. Now he's with the Mets and trying to pull it off as a baseball player and makes you wonder if he would have stuck it out with the baseball thing from high school uh, after high school through college maybe or or quit the football thing after college and went right to baseball. He might have had a better chance to maybe make a major league roster. So I don't know. It's it's difficult. And like Dion is saying, he's telling him to go take the money and run with the baseball thing, pick up the bat, pick up the glove and run. He's saying that because as a quarterback – it's too demanding. You're, there, you're, there's more responsibility at that position. There's more work he has to put in. For Dion, he he could just get off the plane and jump into the uh, DB role that he played as as a cornerback, and he could just be ready just like that. But the quarterback is very different. It's a much more cerebral game. You have to pick apart the defenses. There's just so many more things you have to be aware of. You have to study more. And it's a demanding, demanding job. It's probably the most important job on the football field. So personally, I don't know who's advising him, but there is more money to be made in baseball. And for a guy like Tim Kirkshin to compare him or say that the the, the the ceiling is Ricky Henderson, which is very high praise, that means he's talking Hall of Fame status one day. I don't understand the appeal for the football thing. I think he needs to put his ego aside and just go do it. In baseball, because it's not a sure thing either. Okay. If you put down the bat and the glove for a few years, these other guys are going to pass you. That is their life. Their livelihood is baseball, and yours is now football. And then you're going to try to come back to baseball maybe one day if the football thing doesn't work out, and it's going to be too little, too late. So if I were Kyler Murray, if I had a chance to speak with him, I would tell him listen, you have every opportunity in the world to make a living and make a life playing baseball. You are super talented. You are that you are a top 10 player. Football is great and that's fun and all and you just had an amazing season at Oklahoma, but you need to take a step back and look at it from the big picture. Don't just think about because the football thing is fresh in his mind. He can't focus solely on that. You have to focus on how good of a baseball player you are and what's best for your future. Not what's best for the future as in one month, two month, three month, four months when he's drafted top 10 in football, if that happens, which I their, their projections are that he might go at that high. But no, he has to look at the overall future, his health benefit, which is that in baseball, you're not getting hit around and banged around and, and getting all the concussions that the football players are, are getting and the toll it takes on your body and your overall mental health as well. So he has to take all those things into account. And, and I think he should, like Deion Sanders said and many others, stick with baseball. Go to the baseball thing. And if you're not happy, then maybe you could come and try the football thing. But realistically, I don't think he's going to make it as a quarterback in the NFL. I don't. 
I think he could be a, a slot back or maybe a, a slide in there as a wide receiver, maybe like a Tyreek Hill type of thing, but I just don't see him as a quarterback with his size. So we'll see. Anyway, I went on a little bit of a rant there. And uh, next up, a couple more points I want to make here. Uh, Brandon Wimbush, another quarterback from Notre Dame. Obviously, we know Notre Dame. They were in the college football playoff as well. But Ian Book outplayed Wimbush early in the year and took over the starting role at quarterback there for Notre Dame. And he is has supplanted himself as the Notre Dame starting quarterback for the 2019 season. So Wimbush decided he's not going to sit there as the backup any longer, and he is going to be transferring to none other than Central Florida. Yes. So Central Florida, obviously, they lost their quarterback, uh, Mackenzie Milton, who's recovering from that just horrific leg injury, and he's most likely going to miss the entire 2019 season. So Wimbush is going to head there. He likes his chances of uh, of, of beating out Darryl, uh, Dariel Mack Jr. for the starting job there. And then we have another quarterback, this time Ohio State's Tate Martell, who I mentioned would be transferring after he found out that Justin Fields from Georgia was transferring into Ohio State, another guy that's uh, not going to stick around and and watch his starting position um, get lost to another guy. So he has decided to transfer to Miami. And then Jalen Hurts, this was another big one. Um, Speaking about Kyler Murray in Oklahoma, Kyler Murray now leaving Oklahoma to head to the NFL, so they're without a quarterback. Well, guess what? Jalen Hurts has decided he is going to transfer to Oklahoma for his senior season. And it's going to be the third straight different quarterback that Oklahoma has under center at the start of the 2019 season. And I tell you what, look out for Oklahoma because, hey, Jalen Hurts doesn't project as a very good quarterback at the next level or anything like that. And he's really not a quarterback in college, but they'll make it work. And he's got the assets and he's a winner. So watch out for Oklahoma for a third straight year to be knocking on the door of the college football playoff. And then finally, Urban Meyer. I don't know what this guy's deal is. I don't think he knows what his deal is. He just got out of coaching in December, right? Announced his resign, uh, his retirement, that he's stepping down from coaching, health concerns, yada, yada, yada. Well, then he announces that he's going to be teaching some, some class at Ohio State, right? I guess part-time. Well, then it comes out a couple days later that now he's also going to be acting as the assistant athletic director under Gene Smith. Not sure exactly when that's going to take effect, right? Well, now the big news is that he is nearing a deal to be a TV analyst with Fox Sports, okay? So what's the deal here with Urban Meyer, okay? How is, if he's citing health reasons as, as for why he retired, he's now got three new jobs. So you're telling me he's going he's gonna to teach a class, be assistant AD, then fly to where these games are or, or, or maybe stay in one studio in one spot and, and analyze these games? Well, if he's got health concerns, that's three jobs. That's two more jobs than his last job. So you can't convince me for a second that Urban Meyer isn't going to pull the old switcheroo and in a year or two, he's going to get the itch again to come out of retirement and get back into coaching, whether it's a college football at one of the big time programs or whether he finally makes that leap to the NFL. And I don't know why, but something is scratching the back of my brain telling me that Urban Meyer is looking 
to go pro, that he's looking to get a head coaching job in the NFL. I don't know. Sometimes guys like this that win so much at this level, he's got to be thinking, and he's probably at the point where he's like, I've won so much at this level. I've done all I can do at the college football level, at the Division One level. So what's left for me to do? Well, go to the NFL and see if you could win a Super Bowl. Track record for college football coaches that go to the NFL, not great, but who's to say he can't make it work? Okay, so that will wrap up the college football stuff. That's it right there. We'll cut that off. All right, now I will get into the NFL stuff, and then I'll wrap up with a little baseball, NBA, and some other other uh, miscellaneous news, right? So let's get into the big stuff. We, uh, I'm going to push aside the divisional round games real quick, those four games. I'll get to those, but there's some other stuff I got I to gotta get to before because last week I prematurely, well, it wasn't my fault. It was reported that Gary Kubiak would be joining his former team that he was head coach of. He'd be joining the Broncos as the offense coordinator when Vic Fangio was hired. Well, it turns out that that is not the case. Apparently, some sort of difference of opinion in staffing and offensive coaching style. Well, makes sense because Kubiak is an offensive guy. Fangio is an older defensive guy, and they probably just had a difference of opinion there on on coaching, but it heads a little bit. So Kubiak will not be joining the Broncos staff, but he will be joining another staff Quite uh, He will be joining, excuse me, got a notification there, distracted me. He will be joining the Minnesota Vikings staff, and I think I have it in my notes here somewhere, but I probably put it out of, out of order somewhere down there. So yeah, he's going to be joining the Vikings staff, and I think, if I'm not mistaken, I'll see if I can get to, if I find it here a little bit later, but um, I believe his son is going to be joining his staff as well, so I'm wondering if that played a part in any of this with him not getting that job with the Broncos there or deciding he didn't want it. I'm not too sure who decided what there, but okay. The Dolphins, they remained one of the only teams without an NFL head coach. Okay. They have, well, they, they didn't, they can't officially announce it, but it's going to be more than likely. It's going to be Patriots linebackers coach, Brian Flores. Obviously the Patriots season is still underway because they're in the AFC title game. So they cannot make any final announcements or agreements until the Patriots season is over. But it's all more than likely going to be Brian Flores. And Flores has been pretty much when when you first see this, you're like, hmm, a linebackers coach getting a getting a head coaching job in the NFL. That's a little weird. Usually they go for defense coordinators. Well, essentially Flores has been the de facto uh the de facto defense coordinator for the Patriots as well for most of the seasons. And he's a lifer. He's been with the Pats for 11 years, just soaking up Bill Belichick knowledge left and right. So the guy's got to know a thing or two. And the fact that he's going to be coaching in the division against Belichick, I can't wait to see this and see what he produces for that team. All right. We also found out that according to the Dolphins, and, and a lot of reports out there that former head coach Jim Caldwell is going to be expected to join the staff as an assistant head coach in an advisory role. But when I was reading this, I'm like, oh, okay, he's going to be the offensive coordinator, right? 
But no, they're they're saying he's actually not going to be the offense coordinator, just an assistant head coach and an advisory role. So they are still yet, they will have to announce a hiring uh, for an offensive coordinator there. The Bengals, they are the other team without a head coach, but Hugh Jackson will not be back with the team. It's no surprise here. He was brought on by Marvin Lewis after he was fired with the Browns, and that was kind of like a favor thing to an old friend. He used to coach with the Bengals. New regime's coming going to be is coming in, so um, they will not be bringing him back. And that new regime is going to be again. It's not official because their season is still underway. But quarterbacks coach for the St. Louis. Excuse me, I did it. Ah, it's not St. Louis. It's the L.A. Rams. I'm sorry, the L.A. Rams. I get annoyed. I've been hearing the San Diego Chargers over and over and over again on the radio, and I'm like, oh, it's not San Diego anymore. It's L.A. Chargers. But yeah, I just did it myself with the uh, Rams. So yeah, the L.A. Rams quarterback coach Zach. Taylor, he's going to be um, most likely the new head coach of the Bengals, and he's another young type of guy, comes from obviously that Sean McVay tree, which is a hot commodity right now, so that's a pretty good um, hire for the Bengals there. And then the Browns, they made it official, no surprise here, obviously Freddie Kitchens, their their offensive coordinator that took over when um, midway through the season, excuse me when Todd Haley was fired, and um, that was Baker Mayfield's guy all along. He wanted Freddie Kitchens, so now he has him, and a lot of people are are riding high on the on the Browns right now. They like the hires that Freddie Kitchens made, bringing in a couple of known names. Todd Munkin as their offensive coordinator. Todd Munkin is a name that was mentioned in a lot of these head coaching uh, interviews. He was from what I gathered, he was one of the finalists for the Jet head coaching job, and he took uh, interviewed in a couple other places as well. So that's a big household name. Look for him to be a head coach in the next couple of years. And then, of course, Steve Wilkes, the former, the former Cardinals head coach that was just fired after a one season. He will be he's being brought on by Kitchens as the defensive coordinator for the Browns. Okay. Then let's see. Um, uh, yeah, my, my notes are a bit out of whack here. I totally apologize. Um, okay, got to talk about Cody Parkey for a second because this is a bizarre one, and I really can't believe that, I, that I'm hearing this or that this was said. But obviously we know now Cody Parkey, he missed the field goal, hit the upright, missed it in the, uh, game, in the playoff game against the Eagles that sent the Eagles to the divisional round, right? And they ended their season horrible. He's had issues with kicking this year, but he's been a solid kicker and they signed him to quite lucrative uh, deal. So I'm kind of wondering where uh, GM Ryan Pace got off saying what he said. So I get that it's a business and everything, but here's here's what um, what uh, Ryan Pace there the. the the Bears GM had to say on Monday, and this is a quote, that position is an emphasis for us. We understand we need to get better there. We need production out of that position. That's a direct shot at the kicker, at Cody Parkey, saying that's an emphasis, they're emphasizing that position, meaning, uh, yeah, looks like you're not going to be our kicker next year. Writing's on the wall, right? But Cody Parkey signed a four-year, $15 million deal last offseason. So he's still got a couple years left on that deal. So I don't know. Are we reading a little too much into this? Maybe. But for a GM to say something like that, 
boy, oh boy, it does seem like Cody Parkey is not going to be the kicker in 2019 for the Chicago Bears. And I don't really condone him for Ryan Pace for saying that. I don't believe that he should have thrown his kicker under the bus like that and then backed up and then completely run over him. Like that was a cheap shot, a low blow. And I get it's fresh, but again, maybe his words got taken a little misconstrued or maybe he didn't mean it necessarily that way, but still not something that I would have said personally. Okay. This Antonio Brown situation has just been a debacle, an absolute mess. It's getting worse every day. Antonio Brown has now taken Steelers All-Pro or wide receiver for the Pittsburgh Steelers All-Pro, whatever it says on his Twitter or Instagram. He took the Pittsburgh Steeler part out, like just the pettiness of all of this, right? And obviously we, we know what their owner said. He can't envision, doesn't really see a way of him being on the team next year. Got to work out a trade somewhere, obviously, because of all the money he's owed. Well, on Sunday, Antonio Brown posted a video to Instagram. He was with Jerry Rice. And then Jerry Rice went on the Bay Area's 95-7 the game, confirming the fact that apparently Antonio Brown really wants to play for the San Francisco 49ers, okay? And of course, I'm sure they would welcome that. He's one of the best wide receivers in the NFL, but this is all speculation. He could say all he wants. This person could say this. He could say one thing. The Steelers could say another thing. I mean, Jerry Rice, best 49er player ever, essentially, or one of the best Hall of Famer, right? Uh, Yeah, if he's going to advocate for him, then that's fine, but nothing is written in stone. We don't, we still don't know. Antonio Brown might end up still playing for the Steelers next year, but if he's not going to play for the Steelers, it's going to have to be via a trade because he is under contract through 2021. And remember he signed a five year, $72.7 million extension just prior to the 2017 season, a couple years ago. And at the time, I believe it was the most lucrative deal for a wide receiver ever. So he's owed a whole bunch of money, and it's just, it's one of those things where it's like, I just want it to be over with because we had to deal with the Le'Veon Bell situation all season long, and I don't want to harp on the Pittsburgh Steelers and all the drama they got going on, so let's move on. Okay, and in a surprise move, the Packers, the Green Bay Packers, hired former Jaguars offensive coordinator Nathaniel Hackett. So obviously Nathaniel Hackett was bad with the Jaguars this season. I I think they fired him. They went on a seven-game losing streak, I believe, after that Jets win in week four, and they fired Hackett. And now Filippo is going to bring him on as his new offensive coordinator. Excuse me. A little surprise there. But hey, he had Blake Bortles. He was working with Blake Bortles in Jacksonville. So uh, yeah, I don't blame him terribly for that lack of uh, offensive production. Now he gets Aaron Rodgers. Now we get to see what kind of coordinator he actually is. And then here we go. I have the Gary Kubiak stuff. He is joining the Vikings, and he will be an offensive advisor and assistant head coach. Okay, I don't have in here the thing about his son, but I thought I read that somewhere. Okay, if you guys remember back a few weeks ago, I've talked about the Oakland Raiders and how they're in a really tough pickle right now. Their their lease is up. 
at the Oakland Coliseum. They've been sued by the mayor of the city of Oakland. They really don't have a place to play next season. There's been talks of them playing at AT&T Park, which is now Oracle Park. There's talks of them playing across the pond in London. There's really no question of, there's no clear-cut answer right now. But apparently, we have some word that the Coliseum Authority is going to conduct a closed-door meeting to determine basically where things stand at this point. Because like I said, they've been sued. Nobody really knows the deal of the extent what's going on, if they could, if there's anything to redeem here, if they could come to an agreement of some sort. But um, the Raiders are obviously set to move to Vegas to a new stadium that will be set to open in 2020, a $1.8 billion, 65,000-seat stadium, which is going to be unbelievable, bringing football to the great uh, state of Nevada and, and the Vegas area. But um, so it's interesting because if they don't come to an agreement, which, listen, I think this is just they're milking this for the publicity. I really can't envision the Raiders not playing in Oakland for one more season. I just can't. They're not going to go. They're not going to send an NFL team to London to play every single one of their games. That uh, home games that would be absurd. So I could honestly see them playing at Oracle Park in San Francisco. It makes sense. Baseball stadium. They already play in one now with the A's there. So I could see that happening. But really, let's just move on from this. Let's get this thing worked out. Come on, Oakland. Let's put the Raiders back in the Coliseum for one final season. I'm sure the fans would appreciate it. Okay. Next up, let's talk about John Elway. All right. John Elway, I think, has been an absolutely awful general manager for the Denver Broncos. I'm sorry. That's my... Yes, did he win a Super Bowl? Okay. Yeah. Great. He got Peyton Manning. Woohoo. Won a Super Bowl. But... He has not been great at drafting for this team. They have yet to draft a competent quarterback. All right. He drafted Paxton Lynch. That didn't work out. Not at all. That was a first round draft pick. Okay. And he hired a bunch of coaches so far that just have not panned out. And the latest obviously was Vance Joseph did not pan out. They fired him or Elway fired him. And then he had the gall to go out to go out to the media and say that, yeah, um, I, I was probably wrong to have hired Vance Joseph in the first place. Probably shouldn't have done it. Okay, really? This is Elway's fourth head coach in the last eight years. Just admit you don't know what you're doing. You're not even a good talent evaluator. You were a great player in your day. There's no doubt about it. But sometimes these players that transition into front office and management, they're just not cut out for it. They're just not good enough. Maybe their, their judgment is clouded. Maybe they've got some, uh, you know, some something else on their mind. They're just not, they've, it's different for somebody that's grown up in it and worked their way up through the front office, but to just jump ahead right into it, it's kind of difficult. And, you know, for a guy like Elway, you would expect that he knows talent. But man, they have yet to be. They have yet to draft a quarterback. They've had back-to-back see, uh, losing seasons for the first time in forever, and it's just not working out. And now he hires. Interestingly enough, he hires an aging. What is Vic Fangio like? Late sixties or mid sixties? He hires an older, defensive-minded coach, a defensive coordinator. When most teams and the NFL is 
inching towards offensive-minded guys, those younger offensive-minded coaches like Deshaun McVay's. Because guess what? For the first time in the Super Bowl era, I believe it's the first time, all four, the final four NFL teams remaining are the top four scoring offenses in the NFL. How about that? Now, that says something. But then he's going to be the only one of all these openings to go and hire that that aging defensive coordinator just doesn't seem right. But again, we'll see what happens. They got to go out and get a good quarterback. And from what I'm looking at, they're projecting the Broncos to draft Drew Locke at number, shoot, I don't remember what pick they have. Uh, It's top 10, maybe eight or nine, but they're projecting the Denver Broncos to take Drew Locke out of Missouri. And I tell you right now, If they take Drew Locke, if Elway picks Drew Locke, it's going to be another epic failure, another disaster, because I'm sorry, Drew Locke is not an NFL quarterback. I'm not buying it. I think that this quarterback class is so bad and so weak that these teams are going to be forced to take quarterbacks that never make it in the NFL. You're Paxton Lynch's exactly that, and he's going to get himself another one that doesn't work out. Okay, the Jets, they officially hired, they made the announcement, officially hired former Browns defense coordinator and interim head coach Greg Williams, and I love the hire. They now have their guy in Adam Gase, and now they get their defensive guy in Greg Williams. And it was said that the Jets were targeting, no pun intended, Greg Williams no matter who their head coach was. So even before they got Gase, that was the guy they were targeting. And it makes sense, right? You get Gase, who is strictly your offensive coordinator, your offensive-minded guy, and you just let Greg Williams do his thing. It's like Sean McVay in um, in L.A. with the Rams, right? He was hired on. He's the offensive guy. He knows everything about offense. What did he do? He went and hired a 70-year-old Wade Phillips and said, run my defense. I'm not going to touch it. I don't need to do anything. You do your thing there. I'll do what I know, and that's offense, and that's what I see the Jets trying to do here. And let's talk about Adam Gase for a second, because, man, ever since his introductory press conference on Wednesday, we cannot get Adam Gase out of our minds. That press conference was wild. It's been memed. There's memes all over the place with the taco. You know, he's chasing the taco with his eyes and his bulging eyes looking like a demon. But I did not know... A lot of this stuff about Adam Gase, so it was quite interesting. But here he is. Here's a couple clips of him on the Dan Levitard show, so you could get a feel for for Adam Gase as a person. Straight cash. Excuse me, that was the wrong one. I'm sorry. What uh, What happened at the introductory press conference? Like, what can you tell us about? Uh, did you know that it became a meme and people were putting tacos around your face so that uh, like? Yeah, did I, you don't, know- I don't. I don't. I don't, I don't have Twitter, Instagram. I don't read the internet. I don't watch TV. Like I don't, all that stuff doesn't, it's irrelevant to me. To me, it's pollution of the brain. I really don't care. Like that's just, that's how I operate. I'm here to do one thing and that's to help this organization win. So all that other stuff is irrelevant to me. I find that extremely hysterical pollution of the brain. I've never heard it phrased that way, but Adam Gase and in this interview, he knows Dan Levitard from his Miami days with the Dolphins, so he could be a little coy with him and a little condescending and a little arrogant, if you will. That's how he comes off a little bit. But I would just love that. I love that about him. Wait, because for too long, far too long, I had to watch Todd Bowles just go, we just didn't have it today. You know, I got to do better. It's on me. You know, uh, the team didn't play as good as we should have, but we've got the talent all around. Like, he just he just gives your your, your 
BS political answers and never really shows that emotion that he cares. But Adam Gase clearly cares. I find it really weird that he's 40 years old, doesn't have Twitter, Instagram, nothing, doesn't read the tabloids, doesn't read newspapers. But I'm pretty sure he's more dialed in than he wants us to believe. But he's just a football lifer, right? And he's just all about winning. And I get what he's saying. But here's some more of it. Here we go. This continues. Uh, was it irrelevant, irrelevant to the other people who were management at that press conference? Did anyone say anything to you, or did they leave it alone? Nobody said anything to me. Um, when you left the room, did you feel like you'd won the press conference? I don't care. Okay. All I know is <laughs> it doesn't is it? Did we win any games because of it? No, that's true. No. Nobody cares. <laughs> that's a good, it is. It's a great answer. I hope you keep that with the New York tabloid. I hope you keep sticking your face in that buzzsaw because that'll be a fun fight to watch. I'm not trying to fight anybody. I'm just trying to to do everything I can to win games. I find that, again, extreme. He's witty. He's funny on his feet. And he's he is right. I mean, he doesn't he doesn't care what people think of him. And right. He's not. That's not his element. That's what people were saying. Normally, when you see Adam Gase, he's wearing a hat pulled over his head. So you don't really see those eyes. But. That's not his element. He is a football lifer, been coaching football since right out of high school, didn't even play in college, but he just worked and worked and worked, and football is his life. So when he gets in front of the press, which is kind of unnatural for him to talk to the media, his eyes were just, I mean, he looked like a possessed demon. It is quite hysterical. I'm not trying to make fun of the guy, but I just find it so funny. And the best part of of it all is he doesn't read the news. He doesn't know what a meme is. He doesn't know any of it. So he's not even seeing any of it. And he doesn't even care because again, he, it, how does it help them win games? No. Is he being kind of a jerk and condescending? Yes. And I love every bit of it because again, like I said, I'm so used to the Todd Bowles who show no emotion and are not funny with the media, not witty and are not arrogant or condescending or, or even um, nasty and, and outright downright uh, mean to the, to the media, which is something that, that I, I don't mind it at all because it reminds me of myself, right? If you're having a bad day, you show it, show it with your emotion. Maybe you're having a bad day. You take it out on one of the media members that asks you um, a qualify, uh, you know, a, a fair question. And so He's just saying that he, you know, he doesn't care at all. And then Levitar tries to play with him some more here. He's like, can I send you the video? Can I send it to you? So here, here's that part. I feel like you're a guy who laughs, though, and I think you should watch the taco video because I think you might think it's funny. Can I, like, send it to you? No. I don't want it. <laughs> I don't want it. Okay. I mean, it's just a, it's not a pollution of the brain. It's just a little bit of litter. It's like, it's just a little bit of litter. You don't need it. Don't, don't need, need it. it. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Adam, I'll give, you a, I'll give you a Jake Heller on that one. Don't care. <laughs> so, yeah, the whole thing with the Jay Cutler, don't care. That's where I, that's why I said a minute ago that I think he's a little more dialed in than he leads us to believe because there's an old folklore tale that Jay Cutler was at a bar drinking one night, goes into the bathroom to use the restroom. He's standing at the urinal, another guy next to him. And I forget, I forget exactly what happens, but he's talking to him or something. And then Jay Cutler just leans his head back and he just says, I don't care. So that's the lore of the whole don't care Jay Cutler thing. So if he knows that he's got to be a little more dialed in than he leads us to believe, but I just find it very funny. So that's the, some of the wit 
and the you know the uh, the comedic sense that you get from a guy like Adam Gase. So pump the brakes, Jet fans, all of you that wanted Mike McCarthy, because we weren't going to get any of that with Mike McCarthy. We were going to get some more Todd Bowles, and this is Adam Gase. He is. He's Rex Ryan. A little, not as not as much over the top as Rex Ryan. He's not going to come in wearing a wig or anything, but he is going to be a little witty, a little personable in these press conferences, and I have to just back uh, backpedal real quick, because I believe I said that... Uh, that DeFilippo was the um, was the Packers head coach, and that was my bad. It's actually Matt Lafleur. So if I slipped and said that, that's because I had DeFilippo on my mind because he is has been hired as the new Jacksonville Jaguars offensive coordinator. Obviously, he was fired less than a year on the job with the Vikings at offensive coordinator there. But it's interesting because now that he's with the Jaguars, I prefaced earlier. They have a quarterback crisis. They have a ready-made for for winning defense, right? Although bad, bad year, year prior AFC Championship game, a couple of plays away from Super Bowl. But besides the point, that defense can get back to form. It's that offense that regressed significantly with Blake Bortles as their quarterback. So now that Filippo has come on with the Jags, guess what? Nick Foles could be their new quarterback that they go and get and sign because the Eagles have come out and said, now that their season is over, that Carson Wentz is in fact going to remain their quarterback of the future, not Nick Foles. So now Nick Foles is probably on his way out of Philadelphia to sign with another team where he can be a starting quarterback. So look for Foles maybe to link up with Filippo and the Jags. And then I mentioned Paxton Lynch earlier with that John Elway rant, but Paxton Lynch, after sitting out the entire uh, 2017 or season, I believe he has, and that's because nobody signed him for whatever reason, the Seattle Seahawks have signed him to back up Russell Wilson. So he gets another chance and maybe, uh, it works a little bit better for him, but he won't see any time unless Russell Wilson gets hurt, of course. Okay. And now I can jump into the games from the weekend, the playoff games. Let's dive in and dissect these. All right, here we go. We start with the Patriots at home against the Chargers, four-point favorites. I was liking the Chargers in this one, and I was, and I feel so foolish that I would ever doubt the greatness that is Tom Brady. I just feel so stupid because here's the thing. The public was leaning all in. Everybody was all in loving that Chargers pick. This is their year. They're 12 and 4. They have the better record. They just beat a really good Ravens team. Now they're going to go to Foxborough and they're going to get that win. They're 9 and 0 on the road. The Patriots are undefeated at home, and this game was over from the start. The Patriots won the toss, elected to receive, immediately score, stop the Chargers, score again. Next thing you know, they're up a gazillion points. And yeah, the Chargers scored a bunch late, final 48, uh, 41 to 28, but it wasn't even close. And again, Tom Brady, he just keeps getting better and better and better. And he's saying to all those detractors that thought he was too old and this was his worst team, myself, I was saying that. Well, he just proved everybody wrong and is now headed to his eighth straight AFC championship game. I do want to mention the last time he lost in the playoffs prior to the AFC title game. That would be thanks to my New York Jets in 2010 when we beat the Patriots at 
their place at Foxborough in the playoffs when we went to the AFC Championship game. That, coincidentally enough, was the last time my Jets went to the playoffs. So while Brady has been to the title game eight straight years since then, my team has not even made the playoffs. So very impressive. Chargers just horrible. Same old Chargers, same old Phillip Rivers. He now remains winless against Tom Brady in his career. I think Brady is 8-0 and against against Phillip Rivers in his career. Just just pathetic by Phillip Rivers and the Chargers. And Anthony Lynn, really, it, it showed how young of a coach he is because he just got coached under the table. Belichick beat him up every which way, and the Chargers had no answer. They had no adjustment on defense. They kept going with 7 DBs. And the Patriots were throwing underneath every single time. And they showed the film on ESPN from 2017, the year prior, when these two met. And Tom Brady diced them up by throwing to the running backs out of the backfield. Those quick hitters out of the backfield gashed them for like 170 yards through the air. And guess what? They had that film from the year prior. And they mustn't have studied it. Because they did the same exact thing in this one. He dumped it off and dumped it off to James White and Rex Burkhead and Sonny Michelle, And they just pounded and pounded. And he took what they gave. And they kept leaving Julian Edelman wide open. And a day on which Gronk, I think, caught one or two passes. They score 41 points. So watch out, Kansas City. Because the real top dog is coming for you. And then in the... Uh, the other game, we had, excuse me, the none of these games were really any good, and I'm sorry I got them all wrong except the Saints uh, over the Eagles. This was just a bad weekend. All the favorite home teams, they won. They all covered the spreads except the Eagles. Um, they were able, they were the lone team that covered the spread, but all the home teams otherwise were the favorites and they covered. So the chiefs and the Colts, excuse me, that was the first game and it was just a disaster. I had all my money riding on this game. I had the over, but of course I, I did mention the weather I thought was going to be a factor. And I just was afraid that if I went against my gut, which I originally predicted the over that if I went against it, it would be like a 70 points, uh, game. And hey, they had 31 at halftime, but the weather was clearly an issue. The Colts couldn't get much going. And right before half, just when you thought they were going to cut it to what, like 14 or, or 17 or something, Adam Vinatieri misses a 23-yard field goal, clanks it off the upright. How that is even possible, I don't know. And then later in the third quarter, they score and Adam Vinatieri misses a an extra point. So the Colts, they just made mistake after mistake, and they had a chance to cut it to 10 in the third quarter. They were holding the Chiefs, couldn't score. They get a turnover, a fumble, and then they're in the side the 20, and the next play, D. Ford, who was a beast all game, he strip sacks Andrew Luck, and they jump on the ball, and the Chiefs recover it, and that was all she wrote. So the Colts really beat themselves up in this one. They couldn't even keep it within five. They were my dark horse team to win this game, and as soon as I got that first game wrong, I knew the writing was there. I knew it was going to be a long weekend. So then next up, we had the Cowboys coming in at... FanDuel had them at seven and a half, and DraftKings... They were seven-point underdogs, and I was liking that number because that's quite a big number. Well, guess what? They lost by eight freaking points. Ezekiel Elliott 
couldn't establish the run game. They could not get it going. And without Ezekiel Elliott and without that run game, the Cowboys are very one-dimensional, forces Dak to do a lot more, and they just couldn't get things going. And the Rams were the Rams. They put up a good amount of points. And it's quite interesting that this spread was 7.5 and and they lost by 8 because the Cowboys scored late and they had a chance to go for a two-point conversion to make it a seven-point game, which most teams would do. But this man, Jason Garrett, was banking on the onside kick. Then he was going to get the ball, run down, score, and then get the two-point conversion. Unheard of. Most teams go for the two-point conversion right there when it's available, when they get the score. Because to then get an onside kick, get the ball back, run down, score, and then get the two-point conversion, all of that stuff is not going to go right. So very surprising, and it makes you wonder if that stuff is rigged, if somebody is swaying it one way or the other. I don't know, but quite crazy. And the Rams, they finally get over the hump. Sean McVay gets that win. I kind of underestimated them. I really, I mean, I thought, I did believe that they were going to win this game. I just thought that this would be closer, that the Cowboys would keep it within the seven and a half, which was reasonable because, hey, it was half a point that that you would have lost by and that I I lost by. So, uh, yeah, there's that. And then, of course, I mentioned it already, you had the Eagles and the Saints, Saints at home, and boy, from the get-go, you you were starting to think, Nick Foles, that Philly magic, here we go again. They take that early 14-0 lead, first play of the game, Drew Brees tries to catch the Eagles sleeping, go up top on play action deep, and he just, he didn't necessarily underthrow the receiver that badly. But the the DB, uh, man, he made a hell of a play on the ball and intercepted the first play of the game. Eagles went up 14-0. The Saints were all out of whack, out of sync. And being that the Saints were my Super Bowl pick, I was not nervous. I thought they had to get it going, and they did by scoring 20 unanswered points. The Eagles, though, boy, did they ever have a blown opportunity. They had their chance. They had the ball about a minute and a half left, minute 52 to be exact. They end up, Nick Foles throws a perfect pass to Alshon Jeffrey, and man, he just botched it right through his hands, and it fell in the hands of Marshawn Lattimore for the interception, and that's all she wrote. The Cinderella story is no more. The reigning Super Bowl champs have been defeated, and the Saints move on to the NFC Championship game. So yeah, all four home teams won this weekend after three out of four lost last weekend. So quite bizarre there. But it's the top four scoring offenses in the final four. Both ones and two seeds made it, so no surprise really there. No big-time upsets. And now let's preview these games real quick, right? So we start with both. So both of these games are on Sunday, of course. Both games on Sunday, and I believe the Patriots and Chiefs game is the 640 game, so I want to say that the Saints and the Rams game is the earlier game, yes, at 305, and here's the spreads as of right now. This is via DraftKings. I'm on the app right at this moment. The LA Rams are three-point dogs, Okay, and that's plus 100, so whatever you bet, you automatically will double that amount. If it's in the minus obviously, then you have to bet what that number is to just recoup 
the whole number. So like the Saints at minus three are minus 122. So you would have to bet $122 to win $100. So not great odds there, but obviously they're the favorites. And if you think the Rams have plus plus three and that's plus 100, you think those are good odds. Anytime I see that, it never it never works out. I never seem to see that plus 100 at, at the three-point dog to, to, to pull it out. So either way, the Saints are my pick through and through. And um, I, yeah, I'm going to take the Saints here. I wish this was at two and a half because I'd feel a lot better if a field goal could win it for you because anytime a field goal is going to win it, I'll take the spread all day rather than the money line because the odds are much worse. So I'm going to take the Saints at home, mind you. That Superdome is going to be is going to be rocking. I think that the the um, the Rams, although they are a very good offense, and Sean McVay is going to do a whole lot. Sean Payton has been around a long time himself, and so Sean McVay likes to do a little thing where he has the offense after every play, they rush up to the line. So he has a few more seconds to dissect the defense and speak and talk to his quarterback in the headset. Because obviously after 50, when the play clock hits 15 seconds, the headset inside the quarterback's head, inside the quarterback's helmet turns off and he can no longer talk to him. So by running to the line, he gets a few more seconds to talk to his quarterback, pick out the best play possible. Well, Sean Payton is, there's, kind of a game of cat and mouse. Sean Payton is saying that the fans need to step up and every single time that the previous play ends and they're trying to rush up to the to the line so he could talk to his quarterback for longer, he wants the Saints fans to just scream, get as loud as possible and make it that much more difficult for the Rams. So we'll see which side prevails, but I do like the the veteran leadership of Payton and Breeze over McVay and Goff, who are just to me, they're a year or two away from making that run at the Super Bowl. So I like the Saints there. And then obviously in the night game, 640 evening game, you have the Patriots traveling to Kansas City, where they will host the one seed Kansas City Chiefs. And right now the Chiefs are three-point favorites, and the Patriots are three-point underdogs, clearly, right? I'm going to take the Patriots straight up in this one because the odds are a little bit better. You bet 100, you win 138. I like those odds, okay? And I'm not scared to pick uh, the Patriots to win this straight up. Fun fact, this will be the first time in 67 games that Tom Brady will be an underdog in a football game, which is by far the longest streak ever. He is always a favorite. The Patriots are always a favorite when Tom Brady is your quarterback, and rightfully so. I doubted them foolishly a week ago. I'm no longer going to doubt them in this one. And earlier forecasts indicated earlier in the week that this game was going to be a really frozen over type atmosphere, possibly nine degrees, something around there, maybe less could get into the single dig- uh, could get into the negatives below zero, but now uh, as we move along the days here, as we get closer and closer, two days to go, they're saying that they believe forecasts are going to be anywhere from around 23 to 29 degrees at game time, which bodes well, I believe, for the Patriots um, because Tom Brady, a little bit of an older quarterback, the cold is not necessarily great for your body and your bones. Look back to, oh geez, I'm going to butcher the date. I don't remember if this was 09 when the um, New York Giants beat the Green Bay Packers and Brett Favre and went on to win the Super Bowl. That was one of the colder games 
in an NFC Championship game in Lambeau Field, and some people say it took a toll on Brett Favre's body, and he got outplayed by Eli Manning, who was younger at the time. So that's my two picks. I'm taking the Saints, who are the favorite in the first game, and then I'm taking the New England Patriots. Listen, it's Tom Brady's eighth straight AFC Championship game. I get it. But what better than to see Tom Brady versus Drew Brees, two legendary Hall of Fame quarterbacks battle it out against each other. And what more, Belichick versus Peyton, two great coaches as well. So there there would be a lot of great storylines there. As good as the Chiefs have been all year, Patrick Mahomes is essentially a rookie. And I think, again, they're another year away. I'd love to see Rams and Chiefs next year because we already got part one of that. Granted, part two of that would be unbelievable as well this year. But let's hold off on that until next year, okay? And, and, and so, um, so yeah, those are my two picks. I like the Saints against the Patriots in the title game. And, of course, the Patriots being the underdogs is, is really, uh, really an interesting one. A, a real interesting take, if you will. Um, I, I just find it intriguing that the Patriots, for the first time pretty much ever, are underdogs, that I'm having the, the need to just jump right on that immediately. And there was a tweet. I got to find this real quick because it was a really good tweet. Um, shoot, let me see. This guy tweets a lot, so I got to tweet. Guy on the Michael K show. He's been on the Michael K show a couple times. Goes by the name of Incarcerated Bob. If you want to uh, just search him in Twitter, you can follow him. And he is a betting connoisseur. This guy will drop nine, ten thousand on hockey picks and you name it. This is his living. This is his livelihood. This is his career. And I'm sure he is rolling in the dough. Because if you're betting nine K on a game in which a team is like a minus 250 or 300 to win. That means you're betting, you know, you got to put a lot of action, like 10,000 to win, like, you know, 15, 18, 2,000. So that's risking a lot to win, not a lot. But when you're throwing that much cash on the table, 5,000 or 10,000 to win 2,000, hey, you just made 2,000 bucks. So it's pretty, it's pretty damn good. And if you have the money, you can, you can make a nice living out of it. So here we go. This was the tweet. And he's been keeping track of these games personally and and these picks personally. So he said that Atlantic City Sportsbooks, because obviously New Jersey, it's it's legal to bet in New Jersey. So he goes to New Jersey. So Atlantic City Sportsbooks have the most liability on these two teams. But I did not make my picks based on this tweet by any means. If you go ahead and listen to Glorious House of Gains podcast, episode 42. I made my prediction last night. He tweeted this today and I made this same prediction last night. So go check that out. Glorious House of Gains, a top 200 ranked podcast as well. So he is saying that the sports books in Vegas, uh, in AC have the most liability on the Chiefs at minus three. So 62% of the public is putting their money on the Chiefs and then the Rams at plus three. So 57% of the public are throwing their money on the Rams. Now, he is saying, note this, the public is a 9, 17, and 1 since he started tracking this. And also, the Rams are tied up in approximately 62% of teasers so far. So very, very interesting. And it's just another little tidbit of information, another little nugget, another stat that, that bulks up my defense of the Saints 
and the Patriots. And I, I was torn back and forth. I really would not be surprised if the Chiefs win. That's the real barn burner that I'm really looking forward to. I'm really, I was debating that for a while, but then I just said, listen, never bet against Tom Brady. He is the greatest of all time. I've seen it every single year of my life because I'm a Jets fan. I see him dissect the Jets every year. I've never seen the Jets win an AFC East title. I've never seen the Jets go to a Super Bowl. And yes, the Chiefs have the second longest streak behind my Jets of having gone to a Super Bowl and then never getting back. Um, So with at least one appearance, longest drought to make it back to a Super Bowl. Jets were in Super Bowl three, obviously. Joe Namath, they won that Super Bowl. Uh, That was actually the biggest point spread in Super Bowl history, 17 points. Quick fun fact, that Broadway Joe Namath-led team that won that Super Bowl over the Colts. But the... Chiefs went to the AFC, I mean the Super Bowl, uh, the following year in Super Bowl Four. have yet to go back. So yes, I know there's a lot riding on this, but like I said, I think they're still a year away. And of course, the Patriots beat the Chiefs earlier in the season, 43-40. to Granted, that was at home. Now we're in Arrowhead, and it's one of the toughest places to play in football, but it's Tom Brady, and never count this man out. So those are my picks. That's it for football. All right. Um, that should, yeah, that should be it for football. Excuse me. All right. Now we can move on. We'll get into NBA. We're a little bit over an hour, hour, three minutes here. I will wrap this up shortly. We'll go quickly. All right. Got to start with this. This one is perplexing to me. I just, I, I don't understand why you would go ahead and, and, and basically extend an interim coach of an awful team. So Jim Boyland, the interim coach of the Chicago Bulls, who took over, of course, for Fred Hoiberg when he was fired after the team started, what, like 5-19? and 19? Well, guess what? Boylan has gone 5-13, and 13, not much better since, and yet they extended the man. How does ownership possibly think that he has done enough to give him an extension? Another year, really? Come on, man. Like that's that's one of those come on, man. I, I I need to get that as a sound drop for next time. But anyway, that just grinds my gears. I I don't understand that. So I talked about it last week. I believe that the whole incident with the Cavaliers uh trying to sign the uh, Patrick McCaw, who was, excuse me, Patrick McCaw, who was the former um, Golden State Warrior player who was holding out, and the Warriors did not match it. The Cavs signed him. He played in about four games there, and then they dropped him, and then Toronto picked him up. The Warriors let the NBA know that they thought there was some weird, there, there was some weird stuff going on there with that whole situation. And um, so they asked the NBA to investigate. Well, the NBA did investigate, and they have now come back, and they said that they will not take away the Cavs' pick, their draft pick, nothing like that, or fine them. So really, the moral of this story is the Cavs got really lucky. I'm not saying there was collusion or anything, but look what they had. They stood to lose if they were found guilty of this offense in violation. Basically, if they were found in violation of the collective bargaining agreement, the Cavs would have had to pay $6 million, and worst of all, they would have forfeited 
their first round pick this year, which is going to be a likely top five pick because of how bad they are. So wowzer, that would have been epically disastrous for the Cleveland Cavaliers. All right, next up, if if you've been living under a rock, then maybe you don't know what's been going on in the NBA, but James Harden has been unbelievable, okay? This guy has just been doing things we haven't seen since Wilt Chamberlain. So Monday, James Harden dropped 57 points. He had 36 points in the first half, which I believe set a new franchise record for the Houston Rockets. And what's even more intriguing is he scored 57 on the day after he went one of, what was it, 16 or one of of 17 from three-point range. Just unbelievable. And then if that's not... If that's not enough, on Tuesday against my Brooklyn Nets in hands down the best game of the season to date in the NBA, and that is the one thing I forgot to do for this episode was to get some of those highlights so you guys can hear it for yourself, but I'm sure everybody has seen it by now. You can go look at the highlights on YouTube if you would like. One of the best games I've ever seen in my entire life. As a Nets fan, unbelievable. They were totally out of this game. Basically, what happens is Nets have an eight-point halftime lead against the Rockets. Okay, second half, it's the James Harden show. He goes off for like 22 in the third quarter, something like that, right? Then it's back and forth in the fourth quarter. Slowly, the Nets start to slip away. The, the, The lead starts to slip away. The Rockets are banging three after three after three after three. And they they set records in this game. I mean, we're talking historic records. So the Nets were down by about 11 when there was like a minute and a half left, okay? And they were able to mount a comeback thanks to Spencer Dinwiddie, who hit three straight unbelievably contested three-pointers to send this game to overtime. There was a point after he hit the first two, they were down one. They fouled uh, P.J. Tucker. He misses... um, He missed the first free throw, and then he missed the second free throw. And guess what? The Nets let James Harden get the rebound with 12 seconds when they fouled him, and you're going, oh my God, you were about to have a chance to win this game, and you just fouled James Harden, who up till this point was, what, 17 or 16 of 17 from the free throw line, just unconscious. Of course, he makes both of them. Now Nets are down three. Spencer Dinwiddie runs up the court, and he just heaves up an unbelievably off-balance three with eight seconds left, makes it. They they uh, hold the possession. They don't let Houston score, send this to overtime. And the Nets ended up winning this game in overtime. Again, when you thought they were going to be down, they go on a, I believe it was a 10, uh, 10-0 run to end the overtime period and the Rockets had one final look at a three to tie it from the corner and Jeff Green missed it. So, uh, or Gerald Green, excuse me, missed it. So it was a good look, but unbelievable game. The final in this one was 145 to 142 and the Nets got, that's a big win for the Nets to get back to 500 on the road in Houston. And here's, here's some of those stats that I got to give you the sec, the historic, um, these historic stats. So, 
James Harden finished with 58 points a day after scoring 57. That's the highest point total, I believe, this year, 58. The um, Let's see. Here we go. Uh, okay, so Jarrett Allen for the Nets. He had a great, unbelievable game. He had 20 points and 24 rebounds. And as Richard Jefferson joked, he had the 2020 special meaning uh, he had the Barbara Walters special because she used to host a little news show called 2020. So I thought that's pretty funny there. But what a great game. 20 points, 24 rebounds, and three blocks. And, of course, the man of the hour, the man of the night, despite everything James Harden did, MVP honors go to Spencer Dinwiddie, 33 points and 10 assists, three straight threes to send the game to overtime. Unbelievable. And as for the records that were set in this game, the Houston Rockets attempted 73 pointers, breaking the mark of 61, the previous record, which they hold them they held themselves. They only made 23 of those 73s, which is good for 33 and a third percent. Yikes. Probably why they lost the game. Houston and Brooklyn also set the single game NBA record for most combined three-pointers in a game. This is the first game ever where there was a combined 103 pointers and to be exact they put up 106 three-point attempts combined. 99 of them came during regulation. That is just unbelievable. And then the final stat, which is even more unbelievable, is that the Rockets led by six points in the final 30 seconds of regulation. Okay, they were the Rockets were 682 and O entering that Wednesday game when leading by six plus points in the last 30 seconds of regulation over the last 20 seasons. Say what? That is just unheard of. And of course, that was obviously the most wins without a loss by any team in that span. Just unbelievable stuff. So again, yes, if you have a chance to go watch those highlights, that's one of those games that they are going to be showing for years and years and years to come. Just unbelievable. Okay, next up, I got to talk about the other New York team as the Brooklyn Nets are ascending up the rankings and actually a competitive, watchable team that has got a really good chance to make the playoffs sitting in the sixth seed or seventh seed right now. The New York Knicks are a dumpster fire of epic proportion. But ask any Knicks fan. They have a plan, okay? Their plan is to tank for Zion Williamson. They know what they're doing. Oh, yeah, they're going to tank. They're going to lose as many games as possible so they can get the number one pick and get Zion Williamson because if they get Zion Williamson, they're going to get... Uh, Chris Stapps Porzingis back, and then they're gonna they're gonna lure Kevin Durant for, in free agency. He's gonna come to the Knicks, and then they're gonna be they're gonna be straight. They're gonna be the greatest team ever, right? Yeah, that's what Knicks fans are telling me. That's what I'm actually hearing from Knicks fans. How delusional these people are is unreal. So here's what happened with the Knicks. We obviously know the whole Enos Cantor thing, and I'll, I guess I'll start with that because that segues into this. So Enos Cantor is basically said he was not traveling because this game was held in London. Yes, uh, Was it yesterday? I think it was Wednesday. And he said he's not going to London because the Turkish government is after him. They might try to arrest him or assassinate him. Okay. Now the Turkish government is trying to issue a warrant for him, an international warrant. They're trying to say that Enos Cantor 
helped start a coup in 2016 to remove the Turkish president, uh, Turkish president Recep Tayyip Erdogan from power. This is just bizarre. He's a freaking basketball player. Why would he be a terrorist? But they're 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 actually trying to say that Enes Kanter, although he's a boob and he talks too much in NBA terms, and he thinks that his team is good, whatever. You know, in that respect, I, I dislike him. But come on, the man's not a freaking terrorist. Clearly, the Turkish government's a little cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, and this Turkish president sounds like he's a nut job. Although I, I hope he doesn't hear this because then maybe he'll come after me and, and, and deem me a terrorist as well. But anyway, they're saying that Cantor is actually part of a terrorist organization. They're saying it's headed by this cleric Fatala Guyen. Guyen and they claim that the group basically incited this failed coup attempt. Okay, whatever. It obviously didn't work. So either way, what, why are you so mad? Why are you coming after an NBA player? You got nothing better to do. You're the Turkish president. You're the Turkish government. Leave the man alone. So yeah, he's basically saying, I'm not going to London because uh, yeah, they could kill me. They could try to arrest me. And then I'm. you'll never hear from, from me again. So, um, yeah, that's that. And then we fast forward to this game, Knicks-Wizards in London. This was the 3 o'clock game, afternoon game, so many people might not have heard this. Well, guess what? In Knicks fashion, they lost this game at the buzzer beater on one of the more bizarre plays you'll see. Take a listen. Beal sprinting from the backcourt, gets the screen from Bryant. Two to shoot, back to Bryant, leading in, blocked by Trio. No, no. Goaltending. It'll be goaltending. They call a foul. They will review it. Goaltending. I believe it was goaltending. The Wizards are celebrating. <laughs> At the moment. I, I mean, this is the this is the beauty of basketball. So yeah, even the announcers really did not know what was going on, but you you did if you picked it up correctly, you did hear that right. The Knicks lost on a buzzer beater goaltending call. Alonzo Trier swatted it, but it was on its way down. So they lose 101 to 100 and it gets even better. The Knicks are 3 and 21 over their last 24 games and 13 and they have lost 13 out of their last 14 but yeah Knicks fans they'll try to spin it and say that they're doing this on purpose and they're tanking and David Fisdale knows what he's doing and they have a plan and they're gonna get Zion Williamson and blah 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 all I hear is the same crap every single year and it's enough just know that they're not the same Knicks that they once were and this is a Brooklyn town now, baby. My Brooklyn Nets are coming. The Knicks ain't got nothing on them. Okay. Enough is enough. And last but not least, the... Oh, I don't know why I put that in there. Uh, Last but not least, gotta talk real quick, Dennis Smith Jr. I have not heard his name much this year. Mavericks did draft him one spot after the Knicks last year. Knicks got a lot of crap for taking Frank Nilakina ahead of Dennis Smith Jr., who quietly had a great season for the Mavs, an under-the-radar, not-a-rookie-of-the-year-type guy because of, obviously, Donovan Mitchell, and you had Ben Simmons there, and, and uh, of course, um, 
uh, 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 what, oh, Jesus God, the guy on the, um, on the, on the Boston Celtics, Jesus, uh, Jason Tatum, excuse me, there you go, Jeez, I was drawing a blank, so those were really the big three guys, but so, Dennis Smith Jr. went under the radar a little bit, very good year, but now there's a problem, because Luka Doncic has been on absolute fire, scoring, it seems, 20 plus every single night he's just been he's gonna win rookie of the year at this pace and Dennis Smith Jr. has been a a nobody a no-show so basically if you're not familiar with this situation Smith himself has missed the last four games they're claiming it's due to multiple different injuries or ailments but there is speculation that maybe the team has sent him away while they're trying to maybe find a trade partner so they can they could trade him away and there's another report that Dennis Smith Jr is the one that refuses to come back to the team and he's saying that he wants to be traded so which is true I don't know but the fact that he was a top 10 pick and had such a good rookie year last year I find it hard to believe that him and Luka Doncic can't somehow um work together and fix this whole thing there and maybe it was a lack of communication I don't know but something's not right there because these are two really good players two young young players Dennis Smith Jr. is just 21 years old so you got you you hate to see for the Mavs sake to lose him to you know to wanting to be traded or, or whatnot but uh yeah just a bizarre situation there and then um I forgot to mention that the Cowboys, the Dallas Cowboys, they parted ways with their offensive coordinator, Scott Linehan, after five years. No real surprise there. Their offense in the bottom tier of the NFL. They did make the playoffs, won the NFC East, yes, but really it's it's the writing was on the wall there with, uh, with Linehan. Okay, NBA, bing, bang, boom, not too bad, out of the way. Wait a second. I must have missed something. Um... There was a spot that I wanted to talk about. I definitely missed something. Hold on. I didn't even talk about... So, I I apologize if I'm all over the place. The Raptors, let me just mention this real quick. Uh, They they won against the Suns the other day. Pascal uh, Siakam, he dropped a buzzer beater. And what's interesting about that is this is the first time in 15 years that the Raptors have hit a buzzer beater to win the game at home. Quite wild. There was one thing I wanted to talk about with... What's his name? Um, Shoot. Where is it? I totally apologize for this, guys. I'll have to come back to it if I find it. Let me see. Um... All right, I'll, yeah, I'll have to come back to it. I, I do apologize. We're going to move on to baseball. If I remember what it was, I will come back to it. But for the time being, we will move this show, get this show moved along because we're, we're hitting the threshold here, hour 20. I know people don't really want to hear me speak for that long. All right, um, I'll try to wrap this up in the next 10 minutes. But uh, we will start with in the... in baseball we'll start with the new york yankees and some sad news to report mel stottlemeyer he died at the age of 77 
battled bone marrow cancer for nearly 20 years. He is a staple in New York in New York baseball. Worked with both the Yankees and the Mets, and and was a uh, starting pitcher for the New York Yankees. But he was a most notably he helped the New York Yankees win a bunch of championships. Had a career that spanned 40 years. Spent 11 years as a starter for the Yankees from 1964 to 74. And then from 84 to 93, he was the Mets pitching coach. So immediately, uh, 10 years later, he transitioned into coaching and was the Mets pitching coach. And he did join the Yankees staff in 96 and, of course, helped them the rest of history. They won four World Series there. He left the Yankees after the 2005 season, citing differences with George Steinbrenner. Doesn't really surprise me. That's the type of guy that George was. Oh, that's right. I apologize. Speaking of Zion Williamson and the Knicks thinking they're going to get him, I wanted to, it just popped in my head, funny how that works. I wanted to um, play this. This is Scotty uh, Scotty Pippen, legendary Hall of Fame player for the Chicago Bulls, play with Michael Jordan, obviously. This is his take on Zion Williamson. This was a, this was a different, interesting one, kind of similar to the whole um, Deion Sanders trying to guide Kyler Murray and, and tell him what to do or... or or give his take on it. But this one's interesting. Listen to this real quick. He's definitely going to be the number one pick. I mean, I, I think he's done enough for basketball, college basketball, that it's, it's, it's more about him personal, personally now. And I think for him as a young player that I would shut it down. Now, let me, let me you would, you would stop playing. Let me I ask would, you this, though, I would, Scotty. I would stop playing because I, I feel that he could risk a major injury that could really hurt his career. Okay, I have to stop him there. Yes, he's going to be the number one pick, although I'm sorry. I don't even know if he's the best player on his own team at Duke right now. I love me some R.J. Barrett more than I do Zion Williamson. I'm sorry. What, he's a flashy guy? He dunks all over the place and and this and that. I think he's more of a Zach Randolph-type player. I don't see him being as the next LeBron James. Either way, whatever. It doesn't matter if I'm right or wrong on that. That's just a separate thing. But... The fact of the matter is, you don't shut it. This isn't football. I'm sorry, Scotty. You don't shut it down now. You're playing at Duke. This is his one chance to help this team win a national championship, and that does mean something here. And regardless of the fact, say he say say he's right. Say Scotty Pippen's right, because other people have had this, have suggested this. I believe there's some others out there besides Scotty Pippen that have said he should shut it down, right? What hap- what's the worst that could happen? He tears his ACL, right? Okay. Are you telling me there's not a team out there that's not still going to draft him number one or two or three or four or top five? Because if they don't take him, somebody's going to. The Philadelphia 76ers took three straight players at number one or top three, and all of them missed the, fo- the, the their first season. So they were without their number one pick for one season, and look how it's turned out for them. So I don't even care. You got to stick this out. And if he decided to stop playing now to get ready for the NBA, wow, would that be a bad look for college basketball? That would be devastating. And it would really be devastating to the the Blue Devils' chances of winning a national championship. So I just thought that was an interesting take. And I wanted to give you my opinion because I vastly disagree. Me and Scotty, two different spectrums here. I'm totally on on the side of, I think these players should play. And college football, different story because it's a one-game bowl thing, all right? That one game will make or break your career. 
So it's like if you get hurt in that one game, it's like damn. But if he plays out the re- the rest of his season and he gets hurt, you know, in a month from now, you you can't say, "Oh, I told you that was going to happen." No, you you can't do that. So I think either way he's going to be a top-tier uh draft pick whether he hurts himself or not, but you can't really think that way. You know, he's got 1 year to play in college with this group with this group of players at Duke with the Blue Devils under coach K. Just play, man. Just play. So, okay. Anyway, now we can get back to the baseball stuff. So, we will stick with the New York Yankees, speaking of Stottlemyre, and we've got to talk about just another bad story here. Former Yankee closer John Wetland was arrested on child sex abuse charges. I mean, this is unbelievable. So little if you if you don't remember back that far, so uh Wetland, he played from 89 to 2000 and he was the World Series MVP in 1996 for the New York Yankees as their closer. Um he has since posted his $25,000 bail, but this is a just disgusting. He's being accused of continuously abusing a child under the age of 14. Just pitiful. I really hope these accusations are not true because there is there there is there is no situation that this is this is not justifiable. It's absolutely pathetic. You're a grown man taking advantage of a child and it, it first of all it's disgusting. Uh, and it's just it, it's horrible. It's horrible. So I just I hope that it's not true. I really do. And with that, we move on to some good news for the New York Yankees. They signed coveted relief pitcher Adam Ottavino, who was on the Rockies last year, posted ridiculous numbers in that high altitude where your ball just doesn't break as much. So expect him to do even better than he did last year. This was a three-year, $27 million deal. They got him for uh, a little bit less than the David Robertson deal when he went to the Phillies. So yeah. That's a great signing. Now, the argument can be made. Not, I'm not the one making it. I'm not saying I wouldn't make it, but there are um, outlets out there that are tr- that are that are making the claim or proposing that this New York Yankees bullpen with Batantis, with Chapman, with Britton, with Ottavino, with Canley, that this group could be the greatest bullpen in the history of of baseball. I'm not going to go that far saying that cuz that is that's a lot of pressure to put on these guys, but this is going to be a better group than it was last year, a better bullpen than last year cuz Robertson struggled, but Ottavino, he had a I mean unbelievable numbers on the year and in a ballpark with that altitude in Colorado where you give up lots and lots of home runs, he gave up just 5 home runs all season long. He pitched in 77 and two-thirds innings, 2.43 ERA, 112 strikeouts, 36 walks. And of course, he famously said, it was brought up in the offseason, that he once said, had an argument with a AAA coach, that he would strike out Babe Ruth every single time in today's world. So, I don't know about all that, but welcome to the New York Yankees, Adam. And oh yeah, one more thing. He wants to wear number zero. Nobody's ever worn that number for the Yankees. And Brian Cashman said he'd have no problem with it if anyone wanted to wear it. So I guess he'll be number zero. We'll see. And then um, we talk about the Mets again real quick. So Tim Tebow, once again, has been invited back to spring training. He just got engaged. 
and now he's going to go to spring training once again. We'll see. The Mets are on the come up. New GM Brody Van Wagenen, they're making moves all over the place. We'll see if this is the year that Tim Tebow uh, makes his way up to the major league roster in September during the call-up season when they expand to 40. Okay, that, oh, one more thing. That's right, Um, Angels, the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. They have signed former Cleveland Indians closer, Cody Allen. Now, Allen struggled mightily last year. His ERA was well over 4.7, was, I think it was exactly 4.7, really not good for a guy that was your closer, 67 innings, which is not a lot either. But go back to before that, when they were in the World Series, a couple years before that, between 2013 and 2017, that span of four years, he was one of the best in baseball at his at his job, at closing games. And when I say one of the best, 2.49 ERA over those five seasons with 457 strikeouts over 344 and two-thirds innings. So over 100 more strikeouts than innings pitched. So hey, the um, the Angels are hoping that a change of scenery and new ball club will help resurrect that Cody Allen of old and get him back on track. Okay, next up, that does it for baseball. Next up, we'll talk a little Duke basketball. See, I could have just put the, the, the Zion Williamson segment right in here. Stupid me. Now the podcast was all over the place. Okay, we're going to go to Duke again real quick and talk about, all right, they, they beat last Saturday, I believe. They barely edged Florida State. Cam Reddish hit that triple with like, um, a, under a second left to go to help them beat Florida State. Well, just two days later, Duke lost to Syracuse, an unranked Syracuse at home in Cameron, 95 to 91 in overtime. Inexcusable. Okay. Inexcusable. They were 17 point favorites going into this game. And I cannot imagine, it sickens me to wonder what the spread on that was. And if you took. Syracuse straight up to win that game. Oh my God. If you bet a hundred bucks, you probably would have made like $5,000. That's probably how much difference the spread was here or, or, or what the money line was because they gave them no chance to win this game. Of course not. Duke is the number one team in the country. Obviously no more now that they lost this game, but there's some cracks there forming and you know what? I see it in my notes now. I did have the uh, Zion Williamson thing right here. So I got a little ahead of myself before, but no biggie. We will move on and talk Bob Costas for a second. So the longtime NBC anchor who have, he was at NBC for, for, for Jesus since 1979. He has told, he, he has made it official he will no longer be working for NBC. Um, that was in the New York Post. He is going to continue working with MLB Network. His contract was set to run through 2021, but I guess they agreed to part ways. And it sucks because Mike Tarico, who is very, very good in his own right, he came over from ESPN and joined NBC in 2016. And he kind of stole Bob Costas's 
um, primetime Olympics studio role which for the well during the Pyeongchang games. And it's tough because that was a role which Bob Costas was known for. If you don't know Bob Costas for anything else, it's for his role as Olympics host. And he did that since 1988. So he will no longer do that anymore. That is sad. But hey, life goes on. And he, oh, he also is said to be working on his own type of um, sort of show, like a center stage with a Michael K, where he will host a guest and basically interview them almost. Maybe like a pod, maybe he'll do a podcast type interview show. Who knows? But that's that's the one that I wanted to mention that about Bob Costas because he's one of the great sports uh, announcers and broadcasters. And he just got an iconic radio voice. Okay. And then finally, we have made it till the end. Hour and 34 minutes. Yikes. I will wrap this up here. Last minute. Of course, it's on this date in sports history. We kick it back to January 18th, 1976, when the Pittsburgh Steelers defeated the Dallas Cowboys to take home Super Bowl X trophy. They were crowned Super Bowl X champs, lifting that Lombardi trophy. It was, of course, the second straight Super Bowl title for the Steelers, who, unbelievable right here, right? Unbelievable. Lynn Swan was named MVP. Wide receiver had 161 yards receiving on, check it, just four receptions. That's pretty damn good, if you ask me. And, of course, Lynn Swan. Everybody knows that name because he is a Hall of Famer. So that's going to wrap things up. You guys, I appreciate all the love and the support. If you guys can jump on over whatever platform you're listening on, please hit that subscribe button. As always, you can find me at Anthony underscore M-U-L-D on Twitter. Hit me up there. You can find me on IG at little A-B-I-R-D underscore zero nine on, on the gram and pretty much everywhere you could find me. Please, guys, go over and check out the Glorious House of Gains if you're not listening to that as well. We are a top 200 podcast and it's funny as hell, and you will really enjoy it. It's a good time with the bros, and it will help pass the time. So I hope everybody stays safe. I hope you don't get killed with all this snow, and everybody enjoy a happy and healthy Martin Luther King Day, as most of us are off on Monday. I will see you guys back here on Friday next week. So long. Go enjoy some football, some family, and some friends, and sit around that fireplace and just enjoy this extended weekend. I will talk to you guys next week. Pody out.